Hi everyone, welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across ASEAN. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Kunal Goel, co-founder and CEO of PowerCred, which provides alternative data APIs for the SME market, giving third-party lenders real-time access to SME business data to improve underwriting. Alternative data has been common in consumer credit in emerging markets for years, but the ability to access SME and micro-SME data from e-commerce, bank, and even utility sources is quite new. Before PowerCred, Kanal played a major role in launching and scaling the business operations of Indian fintech Kaliza in Southeast Asia. He founded PowerCred in December of 2021, so it's quite a young startup. But PowerCred is already on a roll launching partnerships in Indonesia and in process of raising their first round. You can learn more about them by visiting powercred.io. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with The Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what The Green Room brings to you as a a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Kanal, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So Kanal, I always really like to start with people's careers because I think it really shapes the businesses they choose to start or, or choose to join. So yeah. let's go back to the beginning. You, I think you were trained as an engineer uh, yeah. and you actually started your career in engineering. Yeah. But then it seems like you made a pretty big shift to the biz dev side. Right. So tell us a little bit about starting your career as an engineer and then what made you decide to make that shift? I'll, I'll in fact go back to my college days as well. So I was always very fascinated by the automotive space back then. And uh, I was working on this project called Ashwa Racing. And essentially, that's where we built a formula style car and took the car to Italy to participate in an international uh, formula society event where essentially you're supposed to evaluate the car basis, your dynamic and your communication skills, your business skills, etc. And I was leading the sponsorship team for the 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 project uh, at that that at that stage and uh, that's when i decided that biz dev is something that i'm really interested in from that i kind of got into toyota 
India and uh, I was in Japan for eight months as well. Even in Toyota, I was at a at a more ca- customer facing role where essentially I was understanding the kind of problems that on the quality side of the customers face, and then taking the root cause back to the supply end and taking relevant countermeasures. So I think a bit of problem solving and through that actually creating an on how sort of business evolves, how Toyota is able to maintain zero zero rejections, right? Zero PPM rejections over a course of time and actually having to live that experience is something that was was amazing after a point in time i realized that of course it was getting boring i was reporting to a bunch of 40 year olds who have who knew nothing outside uh, the world of toyota so that's when i decided to kind of work with three of my friends they were graduates from shishti college of art and design in bangalore it's a design school so they they launched a company called lady finger which was predominantly a design studio and they they needed help with helping them start their journey with the first few clients and that's when i kind of helped them get into certain uh, accounts like healthify me and uh, certain other startups like zomato and stuff like that back in india where they did a bit of branding work for them and over a period of time they the the business started evolving through referrals itself and then i realized of course even the digital studio world right there's not much biz dev required once you've created a bunch of good projects right for your clients so that's when i moved out of that as well and uh, i then moved into this company called kuliza where i was a part of the founding team for this product that they had launched that was called lend.in lend.in was more of it was a lending product company which was helping lenders who were keen to start their project on on day one there was a boom of the number of lenders that came up four five years back right so essentially the key proposition was that if you're looking to lend you can use our platform to start lending on day one itself so that was our overall proposition right from origination to management to collateral collateral management systems collection management systems etc so that's when i kind of got into a stage where we then closed the first few clients in india these were more service-based projects because we had to kind of do things that they were asking us to do that but but that helped us shape up the product the product even better in between, I kind of went for my MBA to Indian School of Business. And uh, once I was back, I chose to kind of go back to Kuliza because they were giving me an exciting opportunity to kind of move to Singapore and launch the APAC operations for them. And it was then that I decided that I was the only employee in Singapore for the first year of business. So we set up a booth at Singapore FinTech Festival. Started It, it was all new for me. We started speaking to some very senior folks in large global banks and smaller FinTechs. Started understanding some of the key problems problems that they are facing back then the key problem was to move from manual to a digital process right and now the the shift is from moving from digital to creating much smarter forms right smarter and uh, with as much less effort how much of output can you get in terms of data data is concerned for underwriting systems and through this i built a very strong network in apac especially with the senior folks in large banks and smaller fintechs and stuff like that and we started solving very specific problems that these lenders kept having but our tech bandwidth was very limited and that's when i decided to kind of move out and launch something of my own a focused an sme lending focused proposition that can that is core api based in the saas world right that is that's exactly what i wanted to do i had also interviewed a bunch of cro's and ceos across the the market trying to understand what they really need for from an underwriting perspective 
and uh, i also looked up some of the winning companies in the us like played models being copied in asia right and that's when i came across kodak a recent recent company to launch in 2017 which was solving a problem for the for the lenders in the alternate data segment so that became an inspiration they they kind of grew quite heavily across europe us australia and i decided to build something on those lines in elkit so that's how i came that's how powercred happened it took me about a year to figure out that this is what i want to do and december was the time last december was the time when i took the plunge now that's great that's an amazing story and it sounds like i was under the impression looking at your cv that it was really at kaliza where your kind of entrepreneurial journey began but it sounds like you've been a hustler for a long time <laughs> you've been yeah. hustling for many yeah. years before that so that's okay. that's awesome and you can see it all through your career and how you've just found opportunities everywhere you went along the way so that's that's great i think you you also said i think you've been in singapore for 7 years obviously though you you grew up in india and that's where you started your career why did you decide to start powercred here in singapore rather than india or anywhere else in southeast asia no i think the india india is a market i felt it's it's really aggressive to start with and i had already i have fresh experience in southeast asia for the last 7 years i think leveraging the network singapore is a great place to live in and the the kind of people that you get to interact with on a daily basis it's it is the it, it is the gateway into asia pacific right and since i had a head start in this region with with my co-founder with with the relevant customers i just thought this would be the most relevant market to start with but having said that yes india is in my roadmap and i just want to launch in india when i'm prepared to to a much better extent because the competitive landscape in india is is much bigger than this region Yeah, I always hear that and and this has been some of my experience too is in India unless you're homegrown unless you really know the market if you're a first mover yeah. it's really hard to compete. I think that's very sound logic. Go to India once you have built up your presence in this region and can come yeah. in with your footprint. That's great. Right. So, maybe let's talk a little bit about Tarkred now. I think that's that's why we're here. So, you you shared a little bit about how Tarkred got started. But let's talk a little bit more about what what is the customer problem that you're trying to solve who are your customers and what yeah. is the value that powercred is trying to provide them yeah okay so my customers are predominantly any provider who is taking undertaking risk to providing innovative products for their for small businesses is my client essentially i wouldn't restrict it just to lending i would say that even insurance becomes a good segment for us to tap in buy now pay later as an offering also becomes a very good uh, card issuers credit business credit card issuers become a good market for us so my customers are predominantly service or product providers for small businesses that's how i classify my customers now coming to how i've arrived at this problem problem statement is that if if we actually look at the digital landscape of the things have evolved in the last 5 6 years digital for smes to be digital has been an agenda for a very long time right in fact year on year growth rate of digitization of smes has been going on at a steadily increasing pace and uh, covid has accelerated this right because of the the offline presence that people have had to shut down their shops etc 
So people have resorted to more fragmented forms of conducting their business and investors, VCs have put in, pumped in a lot of money onto startups that are enabling the small businesses to conduct transactions digitally, right? So whether it is commerce, e-commerce, social commerce, whether it is payments, whether it is accounting systems or bookkeeping apps. So a lot of, lot of these companies have propped up and they have, they have done phenomenally well in the last two years. Now, because... And this sort of has generated a lot of data, right? A lot of small business data has been generated from these systems. And th this data is just lying around, right? And nobody is really utilizing the data in the right way, right? And so that's when I decided that let's... So there is a need for an aggregation layer so that lenders or service providers for these small businesses can have access to this data. And they can provide more meaningful products for their SMEs. They can understand their SMEs better. And using that understanding, they can provide more innovative products for their SME. So while we do the dirty work of aggregating these data sets, right, they focus on innovation. That is my core motivation of doing this. And in the end, it reduces the credit gap for the SMEs, which is my ultimate goal anyway, right? That is that is where we want to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as far as I understand it, you've got these, these SME customers. To me, that the the companies sorry that are generating data or collecting data from SMEs those to me look like the Bukowarongs the Lumos the Ulas of in like Indonesia the Grosari in the Philippines is yeah. that is that who you're thinking about in terms of your customers that you'd like to connect with? so they are they are they are more partners not customers because they are the ones who are collecting the data the they could be possibly customers as well because if they decide to create product offerings for their SMEs other than creating their own core offerings like bookkeeping and stuff like that. Then, for example, Ula has started doing buy now, pay later for merchants recently. So they, they can be utilized as both data partners as well as customers, right? Our product can be utilized for both purposes. But yeah, our typical part customer segment right now would that we are looking to first target is the fintechs and the neo banks because they would be the highest consumers of our data sets, right? So they have set up teams, they have set up a certain budget, in fact, for alternative data underwriting. And what we have done is that we've aggregated e-commerce data, certain accounting layers on the platform, specifically in Indonesia as a market. And we are ready to, in fact, go live with the first couple of customers. And as, as and when more and more SMEs pass through our platform, we'll, we'll start building a BI layer over the product. And that BI layer will help us create more offerings for the smaller the smaller players. Sorry, the players that are actually targeting the smaller business segment, right? The MSME segment, basically. So that is, that's how we are sort of approaching our product evolution. Got it. That makes sense. So it sounds like you're an ideal customer is actually a customer and a data partner. So it's someone who can actually offer those those financial services to the SMEs, but then are also kind of regenerating that data back yeah. into the ecosystem, which yeah. is which is PowerCred. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. So that makes sense. And I, I guess when you think about the type of data that's being generated, is some data more useful than other types of data? What are the sources of, of the most useful data? Because there's so many different... Yeah data yeah. sources out there know so many different companies that are trying to touch SMEs. Yeah. What's useful and what's not? Yeah, this is also something that we were grappling with for a long time as to what, how do we structure these data sets, right? How do we categorize them? And that's when we realized that there are three predominant categories that we need to create. One is e-commerce, 
by e-commerce or tools that SMEs use to sell their products on, right? I mean, that for us is e-commerce. Now that e-commerce could be even social commerce. It could be channels like Instagram, Bookshop, right? Google Shop and stuff like that. Or the larger ones like Shopee, Tokopedia, Lazada, Bukula Park, uh, Bleebly, some of the local e-commerce ones. So this is one category. The e-commerce forms one category. The second category is the accounting systems where you can practically know anything and everything about the business. So there are system generated accounting systems and then there are user generated accounting systems. So the system generated ones include companies like Tally in India or Journal in in Indonesia and stuff like that. Whereas the, the user generated accounting systems, which are probably less valuable right now to lenders would be the ones coming from Bukuwarung or Bukukas unless they are authenticating their data sets through a bank or through any third party, right? Which which I believe Bukuwarung, Bukuwarung and Bukukas are in the process of doing right now. So this becomes the second layer and the third layer is the payment channels. By payment channels, layers like Ovopay, GoPay and stuff like that, right? Where you can get a a good set of information on the transaction details of the merchants on these platforms. So we've categorized them into these three forms. We are partnering independently with companies that that have that offer products on each of these categories. And then we are structuring the data into both transaction data as well as more sentiment data and then offering it to the customer in the form of a CSV file in a readable format, in a structured readable format so that they can enrich their credit decisioning process. Got it. So I, that's interesting, Kunal. You named several different types of data and different data sources. But one that I noticed was missing is banks. So we, you, you, it sounded like you started this journey working with the standard chartered folks here in Singapore and helping them develop a product. Have you thought about connecting to the bigger banks that may also have really good, really rich data, yes. similar to what some of the open banking platforms are doing. Yes. Brick, Brancas, IOConnect, some of those. Yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, just like Kodat has partnered with Plaid in, in the European markets, we do want to partner with some of the bank connect data sets like Brick. In fact, Gavin is a is I've known Gavin for a while. And I think one of the discussion points with him when I meet him in Jakarta next week is also that whether we can utilize BRICS API onto our platform, because there are companies like BRIC and Financial that have already kind of aggregated bank connect data. So that makes us a one-stop shop for lending institutions to kind of consume the conventional and the unconventional data sets to underwrite their customers. So you're absolutely right. Bank connect data is something that we are definitely looking to integrate onto our platform as well. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like also you've got all of this incredible data, this rich data that's coming in. And at this point, you're just basically organizing it and serving that back to your customers for them to make their credit decisions, ingest that, put it into their models in whatever way. Yeah. And then you also talked about this BI function. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that, because I think that's really interesting, because yeah. then PowerCredit is going to have a huge source of data from many different sources. And you can actually come up with credit scores yourselves. You come up with all sorts of scores. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what that BI might look like? Are you going to, I know this is very early stages, but is there an idea that you would become like an SME credit bureau and could come up with a score? What does it look like? Right. So basically from, from a BI layer perspective, we have a few things in mind that we want to build. One is basically confidence scores, as you rightly mentioned. So these confidence scores will be panning across the transaction data the 
and the sentiment data and depending on the kind of weightage that the lender wants to use on each of these data sets they can they can use our confidence scores the second the second part that we're looking to build is dashboards now dashboards would give the customer a better visualization sense of how the merchant or the seller has been performing on the on individually these platforms over a period of so that kind of gives them more graphic sense whether is this is this seller potentially going to default at some stage one of the integrations that we've done is with google location data so the bi layer over that what we're creating is that you know indonesia is a earthquake prone place right so some of the locations are quite vulnerable from that perspective so we can start giving them as to whether this this area in which this business is conducting their operations is it really earthquake prone or is from a competition perspective is it around a lot of competition and stuff like these are some of the insights that we generate from location data but yeah generally uh, my point is that the dashboards will give them a good sense of visualization of how these businesses are performing over a period of time that kind of gets us the existing borrowers uh, so the lenders will want to kind of ping the data sets at, at repeated intervals so that kind of helps us generate repeated uh, revenues as well on the on the product now once we've given them visualization the next phase will be uh, generating more predictive analysis for the for them now predictive analysis would include look in the last six months we're seeing a growing trend of uh, of the way the seller is performing on let's say lazada right and uh, so we assume that the next few months is going to steadily increase right so you can think of possibly giving him a larger credit line or turn around with more products or or give them an early warning system that look the seller has been not doing so well in these products that he's selling on Lazada and there's a potential there's a probability that this particular seller might default the loan so you might want to use things like moratorium and stuff like that on on the existing products that you're offering him so yeah this is what we've thought of so far broadly but yeah we're we going to take the challenges as they come to us <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm sure. That's an, that's a pretty amazing vision for the future. It's it's really cool because I think so many there are a lot of players. I used to work at an alternative data scoring company and there's one side that's really about the underwriting and how can you get you how can you lower the risk based on this alternative data? But when you overlay that with other types of geographic data, demographic data, it's really interesting the insights that you can come up with that doesn't just help from an underwriting perspective, you can also help from a marketing perspective, competitive analysis perspective, yeah. other sorts of even even product development, right? If someone's in an area where there's they're high risk of being part of an earthquake, maybe they're a great candidate for like disaster insurance, Absolutely. which maybe the company didn't know before. So that's, right. that's really fascinating and all. Right. Tell us a little bit now about it. It sounds like there are many use cases, assuming that like lending is the big one, especially the one that you're starting with. Tell us a little bit about the business model. It sounds like a SaaS business, but tell us about the business model and how do you prevent it from becoming too bespoke, which is, I know a lot of challenges, a lot of the challenges that folks in this space have to manage. Yeah. Look, I think uh, so. from a product offering perspective, we are a marketplace to start with of all alternative data. And uh, essentially over a period of time, what, as I said, the the bi layer kicks in with some more product features that we'll add in on the on the existing structured data that we're giving our uh, business model will work in this way that for every application that goes through with my customer i charge them a fee right so basically it's a tra transaction based fee so it's going to be a, and, and we'll have a minimum commitment from our customers on a yearly basis and with that, we'll give them edits for, for the minimum commitment. And once that expires, then we just move into the transaction-based model. 
so yeah it's a it's a pure saas play the the methodology of integration is very simple we've evaluated all kinds of use cases whether it is offline use case for the customer or online use case whether we have to integrate into an existing application we will offer it as a white label if necessary so keeping all of these things into consideration our my co-founder has created like an architecture where within a week we'll be able to integrate with any customer and get started essentially wow that's amazing so what does the customer have to provide to nothing absolutely nothing nothing no Uh, just, uh, so I think we we just have to understand their existing application whether they have an existing application we have to give them the SDKs anyway so mm-hmm. that those SDKs will help them integrate into their existing application we need to know their branding guidelines if if we are supposed to offer it as a white label then we'll incorporate those features onto the product and we'll just offer it to them that's all that's amazing that's amazing before we move on I I kind of want to visualize this I can kind of visualize it certainly the setup from the customer's perspective yeah. but let's say I'm an SME and yeah. I want to get a loan what does that journey look like and maybe you can share what does it look like today yeah. and then what does it look like once power cred is in the mix okay so basically once an SME so without power cred I'll, I'll first talk about the journey without power cred the way it works is that the SME comes in either walks into a branch to apply for a loan or they kind of through an application through a self assisted application they try applying for a loan or through an rm they apply for a loan they fill up a, a form whether it's digital or whether it is an offline form and then they sub then that's the first stage right where the kyc etc is done then they submit their relevant documents and they give access to the lender to either if they have a bureau integration or if they're using bureaus etc so then they they use utilize the bureau information and with that whatever minimalistic documents and data sets that they have the the lender comes up with a score and with that score they kind of give a give out a loan to the to the customer to the to the borrower the and with power credit what will happen is that whether whether the person whether the lender is offline or online a link will be provided or or it will be embedded on the customer's application once the sme sort of completes their due diligence by giving their kyc or their traditional sets of data that they are already providing they will hit power credit's product and they'll authenticate the lender to access information from the tools that we are integrated with so like e-commerce accounting and stuff like that and once the customer gives the authentic once the authentication is done then power credit fetches the data and passes through the the bi layer and provides meaningful sort of output to the lender to enrich their credit models now credit models can now credit if the lender has an existing credit engine then you just need to auto populate the data on their existing credit engine if not then we'll provide a csv file you know where they can read the data essentially got it that's amazing you just i like that you just press a button and all of the data that yeah. was probably invisible before suddenly gets pulled in that's amazing right. That's great. That's great. So, Kanal, I I think I've got a good sense of the product and and how it works. I want to talk a little bit more now about your expansion, right? I I think you you said you're starting in Indonesia. You've got a bunch of partners lined up. To start with like why start with Indonesia and then how do you think about expanding across the region? Okay, so Indonesia is the second largest market after India and there are about 65 million small businesses in the region. So our obvious choice was to get and it is the most underserved market of of amongst all of APAC. In, Indonesia became the natural first choice for us. Coincidentally, the first customer that we got was through a personal connect as well and we we and they are the largest 
one of the largest lenders in indonesia so i think that's when we decide to just zero down on indonesia and focus expand as much as possible there and then what happens is that once we build a strong enough ecosystem within indonesia we what we what we realize is that we have already covered 30% of other markets in southeast asia because most of the data sets are quite common across other countries at least in southeast asia as a market so a market two from that point will be philippines but we don't have to start with from scratch we'll have to we can start with a certain set of integrations that are already done so in fact we are in talks with some of the banks in uh, in philippines and they're looking to in fact start consuming the 40% data that we've already kind of integrated onto the platform so that kind of gives us more confidence of scaling faster across other regions without losing focus on penetrating as much as possible in indonesia as a market the idea is that you want to integrate with partners that have good amount of penetration when it comes to smes right you don't want to blindly just partner with data sets so mm-hmm. and that's that's why i think focus is important for now but yeah from a scale point we are quite sure that it's not going to be very hard for us to scale into other markets got it and, and next year onwards we look at india india is a different ecosystem altogether so yeah. we have to yeah look at that market yeah. second year absolutely on. Absolutely. So I guess it sounds like Philippines might be next, but how, what else, what other markets are you looking at? And I guess, do you foresee any challenges, particularly around localization? Not really, because the, the these data sets are, un, as I mentioned there, the unconventional data sets are outside the regulatory rules and stuff like that anyway. So I don't think I'm going to come across that situation, but, uh, but yeah, we do plan to get registered with OJK and some of the core ones that are required in each of these markets to kind of ensure that we are very well regulated in in any case we are not scraping data we are part, we are doing api integrations op, either there are open apis available or we are doing strategic partnerships so these are the two modes of integrations anyway got it and yeah that is to the point on regulation that's always something that you have to think about but yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, if you're not providing the financial services yourself that yeah. actually is an interesting it should it shouldn't be too difficult in my my outsider opinion i guess maybe that's that's another question is there a future state in which power cred provides credit themselves no i don't think we plan to take that <laughs> too much risk huh? yeah too much risk <laughs> yeah i got it got it but but yeah there's a there's another exciting vision that we do have the what we kind of visualize is that eventually we want to create an sme id for each of the borrowers right and what happens is that when when an sme so an sso login like a google login equivalent for for these smes so we want to call it the power cred login and that that way the the sme has the power to kind of utilize their own data in the right possible way so they can they don't have to bank on my integration with the lender they can directly use my login and approach financial institutions where where you know, they, they give authentication using powercred itself and get access to all the data sets the lenders can get access to all the data sets they need and that is our grand vision but we've really not thought about how to get there yet yeah yeah that's really cool it's digital identity for smes or like a digital passport for smes yeah. that's, that's really awesome so Kunal, I want to I want to zoom out a little bit. We have a few more minutes and I want to talk a little bit more about like the SME economy in Asia. It's it's a fascinating space and when people always ask me about what are the underserved areas that you see in the region, particularly in the lending space, I always say women, gig workers and SMEs. And yeah. I think women and gig workers is really a matter of will. People just need to pay attention and serve those customer segments. 
But SMEs, I think so many people are trying to serve SMEs and it seems really hard. So can you just share more on like, why is it so hard? There are so many people in the market. What yeah. is everybody doing it wrong? Is there a, is there a key to success here? Is it power cred? The way, so let, let me just get to how we've, how we've gone about our research. I think probably that might answer a few of your questions. So first, our first task was to understand the categories of SMEs that are there in each of these markets. And we broadly classified them into three categories, the bank, underbanked, and the unbanked. All right. And this is basis the, the size of the revenue of these SMEs on a yearly basis. So they're really turnovers, basically. Now, the, the thing is that when we look at the unbanked segment, that, that takes up about 80% of the market, especially in Indonesia. So all the transactions that are happening, typically the small mom and pop stores, a lot of families trying to run their own business from home itself, right? Cake shops from home and stuff like that. So now the data is simply so fragmented for all of these data sets that it is very, very difficult to kind of understand the nature in which this SME is performing because they are also scrambling to do their own business, right? They are looking at all possible channels to scale. So the unbanked economy is the toughest to crack and which is why I think Bukuvarung and Khatabuk have done a fantastic job. And most of these apps that are catering to this segment, they've done a fantastic job of consolidating data, right? And that's a good start for players like us because consolidation is happening at that category level. Now, what we are aiming to do is consolidate across all the segments. The way we kind of classify our businesses is there are there are aggregation layers at the SME level, and then there's a next aggregation layer at maybe an accounting or a e-commerce level, like a big seller or a or these kind of players. And then there are account then there are aggregation layers across payments, e-commerce. That is where we come in. So essentially, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's been a challenge over the last few years. And, but but it's it's the idea is that it's getting solved over a period of time. You know, the whole layer of ag aggregation is helping consolidate data into one place. And lot, lots of these aggregators exist, which are helping us provide a streamlined offering to our lenders. So that's how we think of our business. Got it. Got it. That's really fascinating, Knal. I guess maybe just so the audience is clear, especially for those who may never have interacted with particularly the un, un, and underbanked segments of SMEs. Can you describe, just make it tangible? What are the, what do these SMEs look like? Okay. So by banked, it's, it's quite obvious that these customers have registered bank accounts, right? In their names. The bank is that are those kind of customers that we would classify where they, they are conducting businesses online, but there's no, they're still running, they're still running business on their personal accounts. Right. So, so like a Shopee seller or a Shopee seller or a Lazada seller, the smaller ones, not the large ones. So Shopee sellers are also across the board, right? You have banked and underbanked. But let's say like a, a small electronic shop, right? In a in a uh, in a shopping center, right? Uh, now let's say in India, giving an India use case, if uh, they're using Dunzo to kind of sell products, that becomes one channel of selling their products, right? So essentially, but they are still running their accounts on uh, bank accounts. They they are still using their personal bank account. So the nature of transactions. You can't really tell which one is a business transaction or which one is a personal transaction from the bank statement. So that is what we classify as underbanked. And unbanked is where the smaller mom and pop shops, right, where that are just doing cash-based transactions, essentially. 
So that's that's the unbanked economy. That is what I would like to classify it. I'm sure there are other definitions of underbanked, unbanked, and banked as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's great, Pamela. I think so many people categorize it different ways. Some categorize yeah. it retail or F and B or size of size of the company, number of employees. Like if yeah. people categorize it in so many different ways, and maybe that's part of the challenge, and that's why uh, we yeah. need all of this data so that we can categorize right. effectively. Right, right. So that's really helpful, and I think. One other question I have on this is like, how have these SMEs changed? Has their behavior changed in the last couple of years, particularly in re- in regard to COVID? And how will it change in the next few years, given all of the the growth of marketplaces, the growth of digitization in this region? Yeah. No, I think it's it's fabulous. That's what excites us the most. the The fact is that SMEs have started resorting to digital channels to selling their products. A lot of people have started new businesses because of the fact that it's easy for them to create products and sell online, right? As I mentioned, many families at home have started selling food online and started giving home food kind of experience to their customers and stuff. So the two the two segments that we've seen that have largely grown is people selling on on these commerce platforms and the home homegrown businesses that have that have come up in the in the region it's unfortunate that covid happened but covid has also allowed this digital economy to kind of boost right so i think that has given us a, a huge confidence in terms of doing aggregation at this layer and and once you once you taste the fact that you can sell products on digital channels you start realizing that your cost of running and running operations uh, offline right or 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 having a physical store that it's unnecessary and that's when you start using more digital platforms to kind of sell your products right so yeah it is it is growing and i and i think it is growing now at an exponential rate than than what it was a few years back yeah and you you mentioned earlier about financial inclusion and it's clear that kind of with all of these changes the theory of change for power credit is really like taking all of that data to yeah. to enable financial inclusion uh, yeah. across the ecosystem not just for a certain se- segment of SMEs but all SMEs and i think yeah. that's that's really exciting right Can I, we're almost at time but i want to ask you one last question and it's it's about data. We've talked a lot about SMEs. Data is is ubiquitous now. Everyone's creating data. Every company is creating data. I'm sure you've heard everyone's heard the adage, data is the new oil. Yeah. I guess I'd like to know from your perspective, like to what extent do you agree with that statement? And when you think about the future of data and data aggregation, what excites you and what scares you? Look, I think the web three phase is coming very soon right everybody's talking about web3 right so decentralization of data is something which is very obvious and i touched upon our vision um, overall vision that we want to be the one stop shop for for smes to kind of avail any kind of financial product through our through the login that they use right the, the id that they they use through power credit so you know the the way the way we see this is that eventually nobody is going to own data right data is going to be at a centralized repository which which sort of now and that is where the power of aggregation comes into play right you want to utilize that the large amounts of data that is there across different categories in the right possible way so our story is on these lines that we aggregate the data for the financial inclusion for the SME economy that is where we are playing our strength in but aggregation of data is happening across right there's aggregation of e-commerce there is aggregation of 
SMS data. There's a, there's a company called Trusting Social. If you've heard of that, aggregates phone based data and provides a score to their customers. There's Bank Connect data. So aggregation is going to be very important, and I think it's going to be a key to the Web three space as well, right? A key offering to the Web three world. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. I have a million questions about data in the Web3 world, but maybe we have to save that for our next next conversation, Kanal. This has been really fascinating. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. I'm really looking forward to seeing how you and PowerCred are going to shake things up in this region. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would also really appreciate you leaving us five stars and a review. And if you know anyone who would be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.